Ah, he's there. Can you see I'm recording? Facebook? Yes, I can see. Okay. I think so. <laughs> I can see your recording, Liam. Thanks. Yeah, let's try to admit him. Hello. Hi, Mike. Give me a second. I'll just turn my camera on. Give me a second. Uh, okay. Okay. Brilliant. Hi. How's it going? Good, isn't you? Doing well, doing well. We are admitting everyone. So is this is this the the finance society? Yes, please. Yes. Finance What's the strength of the society in terms of members? Number of members? So we got we got up to fifty or sixty members active, and uh, yeah, you'll see tonight the approximately thirty people every every webinars. Fantastic. So uh, at the end of this webinar, hopefully, I can become an honorary member. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it'll be it'll be my it'll be my honor. Brilliant. I'm excited for this. We are too. Fantastic. So who's the who's the president of the uh, the society? Is there a president? Uh, uh, yeah. Head? So is Liam? You're muted. Um. So it's me and Liam. We we co-founded it. Just this like the past September, September 2020. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Congratulations, hats off. Is there any other society on campus or is this pretty much the, the, the main finance society on campus? Uh, about finance is the, is the main one, but we got a okay. society, for example, the motor club, we got the sports, uh, football society, well, football club, sailing team. Like um, the university starting with all these society, let's say this year. It's kind of a new environment. We also got the president tuning in, uh, Alan, the president okay. of the association from IUM. Good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Nice hey. to see you. So happy likewise, to you. likewise. Good, nice to meet you. Likewise. So look, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to take this in whichever direction you guys would like to. I think you guys have like a, a few points in mind, a few topics in mind that we can definitely cover. Before before we kick things off, let, let me just preface this uh, this conversation, this discussion by saying, that I find the French accent really sexy, very, very, very sexy. I still remember during my during my uh, Goldman days uh, on the the trading floor. Uh, you know, just hearing the word volatility said in in the French way used to be like music to my ears. Absolutely love it. So, uh, so I'm pretty sure this is going to be a very enjoyable and pleasant experience for me. I'm I'm not sure if all of you are French, but uh, I'm guessing a a vast majority of you probably would be French, right? Uh, actually, because it's an international school, they're all coming from everywhere. Okay, so, yeah, okay, we, lovely. We got, we got a bit of French, a bit of everything, actually. Understood, understood. And if at any stage, you know, you don't understand my my beautiful and soothing Indian accent, just let me know, repeat myself. I oh, no worries. Yeah. So, guys, we'll probably start. So, we'll start with an introduction. So, thanks for all for, for tuning in. Uh, it's our first event of the year, and uh, we, we hope you... you You'll kick off the, the year like that. It's, it's great. With Anubhav, the legend, the myth. So, um, uh, yeah, thanks a lot. For, first of all, we'll, we want to say about the, the research team. So we are starting this week with new projects. And um, Andrea will talk to you about the, the Python team and we'll start. Okay, yo, um, so thanks Anubhav for tuning in again. Thanks a lot. Uh, we started last semester with our first event. 
was a um, former Goldman Sachs as management London, and we're gonna start this new semester with a Goldman, former Goldman Sachs um, sales and trade in New York. So we kind of level up. Thanks a lot, Anuba. Um, so yeah, today is the official day. We started with the officially with the Python course. I sent everything in the WhatsApp group, all the links for the course, etc. As I mentioned also in the group, this week I'm gonna finalize everything, everything with the two experts in order to create a, a platform, a way to have a smooth and efficient communication between all, all of us, if you got any problems. And um, yeah, Liam, leave you the words. So, so yeah, and above today will introduce himself for those who don't know him. Uh, he will speak about Goldman Sachs, his days in sales and trading and his switch to IB with some, a couple of tips and skills and we'll finish with uh, the Q&A. So Anubhav, I'll let, I'll let you go. Fantastic, so I'll, I'll give a quick introduction. Uh, the one thing I'll say, uh, you know, as a preface to this chat is, let's keep this as conversational as possible. Uh, I'm very informal, so I mean, we can, you can ask me literally any question that you have. I can kick things off by giving a, a brief background about myself. Uh, um, I, I think uh, Andrea as well as Liam, you guys summed it up beautifully, but I'll just give you some more details. So I graduated as a, an industrial engineer from uh, Georgia Tech, originally from India, born and brought up in India. Uh, did my undergrad in the US, uh, in Atlanta from Georgia Tech. Uh, after, I had interned with PwC, did consulting during, uh, during college. This was my penultimate summer in college. Interned with Deutsche Bank as well on the trading desk in their Florida office. And then um, ended up working full-time at Goldman Sachs, spent one and a half years in the sales and trading division, and um, then moved to investment banking, spent eight months there, after which I got back to India and then pivoted to a completely different field. I'm currently working in sports media. Uh, but the, the two plus years that I spent at Goldman, I mean, one of the uh, two of the most rewarding years of my life in terms of everything that I learned in terms of uh, not just the, the technical finance stuff that I learned, but in terms of like the con confidence that I was able to actually build within myself uh, because of, uh, you know, working with some of the best in the business on the trading floor, as well as within uh, the investment banking uh, division. Uh, so that's a that's a quick introduction. Um, now, what what do you want me to focus on? Uh, I know you mentioned tips and tricks. Uh, uh, sh do you want this to be more focused towards sales and trading, or investment banking, uh, or both? What do you guys have in mind? Uh, yeah, you can you can start from from uh, starting with how do you get in Goldman Sachs, the application process. We knew that um, your boss was from Georgia Tech as well, and uh, yeah, uh, have a little switch on sales and trading a little description about the, the job and uh, a bit of investment banking and we'll finish with a Q&A. Absolutely, brilliant. So, so when I was applying, so this was late 2015 when I was applying, uh, this was my last semester in college. Uh, back then, at least, th things have changed since then. Georgia Tech, the college that I went to, was a non-target school. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Goldman didn't quite come to campus, or even if they came to campus, they came to hire for back office positions, for middle office positions, at best, as opposed to front office positions. Uh, now, I'm not sure if your university is a target school, uh, is considered to be a target school by these elite bulge bracket banks like the Goldman Sachs, the Morgan Stanleys, the JP Morgans. Uh, but even if it is, even if it is a target school, to break into some of these competitive bulge bracket roles, especially front office roles at these bulge bracket banks, you have to go above and beyond. There's absolutely no other choice that you have. You might think that, you know what, I might have a competitive advantage if I go to a target school, but that just means the competition is much higher only because there's so many more people actually getting face time with the recruiters, with HR people, with bankers, with sales people, with traders, right? So your competition might be higher. And so, uh, 
the application portal you could apply through the application portal but honestly i mean uh, the application portal is akin to a black hole you know that's how i describe it you you can send your application in but no one really retrieves anything from the application portal because the millions of applications coming in or thousands of applications coming in on a daily basis and so what i would say is your best bet your best bet especially when you don't want to have say too many contacts you know from the get go is to actually reach out to alumni from your university who are working in the 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 roles that you desire to break into you know so be it sales and trading be it investment banking so sending a simple very simple cold email keep it concise keep it precise saying hey uh, this is what my background is you know give a couple of your academic highlights give a couple of your your extracurricular highlights say for instance you know president of the finance society of uh, uh, on campus uh, and talk about the fact that you're interested in or, or you're gunning for a role within the investment bank division or a role within the sales and trading division and would you be willing to speak with me anytime in the near future uh, to have a brief chat such that you can provide some guidance to me so as simple as that you know uh, a lot of them might not reply to you they're very busy uh, don't take things personally but maybe you know maybe 3 or 4 out of out of 10 people do end up replying to you in which case you set up phone calls with them have a very conversational chat you know don't think of this as a formal interview think of this as more like a, a coffee chat that you're having over the phone with someone um, casual conversation the most important according to me at least you know there might be different schools of thought but i think most people would agree on this the most important part of any chat be it a formal interview or be it a casual conversation like an informational interview are the first 10 minutes you know the first 10 minutes of any conversation can make or break your chances and the first 10 minutes typically comprise you telling them your story you know what's your tell me about yourself story like why is it why is it that you want to break into uh sales and trading or investment banking at a place like a goldman sachs and what is it that sets you apart so as long as you have a solid why then even if you know i mentioned this in some of my videos even if you don't would end up getting the technical questions right or even if you don't end up getting all of the technical questions right but you have a solid why they will give you the benefit of the doubt you know as long as you have a compelling story so what i would say is you know when you're when you're crafting a story which is very important because that's typically the first question you answer in every single chat that you'll have formal or informal uh make sure it's one to two minutes make sure that you pick those parts you know in your story or those components that actually make sense that actually uh make it very clear as to the fact that you have a particular set of skills that are really well suited for the type of role that you're gunning for as well as a specific set of experiences that you've had uh because of past internships or co-op programs that you've done in the past or whatever you've stuff whatever you've learned in your university that would really cater well to the role that you're gunning for don't make sure it's not scripted that's the one mistake i used to make initially only because you're nervous speaking with vps mds over the phone sometimes you end up writing a full blown script trying to memorize it but often times what happens is you might understand that you know the short on time they only have maybe uh, or, or, or the other person might be getting impatient you could sense that from your body language as a result of which you might have to modify your your delivery and so don't don't memorize anything you'll sound very scripted just know your content really well okay so these are the pieces of my story that are very important that showcase the fact that i have the skills and i have the experience to gun for this role and then just say it impromptu during your first few chats it's going to be nerve wracking it's going to be tough but you know i mean to use a cliche you you you'll just by virtue of having more and more chats by virtue of having more and more repetitions under your belt you'll just become a lot more comfortable being uncomfortable and then trust me there'll come a time when you're having a chat with a vp or an md or a partner you could be drunk or asleep and you'll still be able to have a very free flowing and smooth conversation with that person only because you've had so many reps under your belt 
in the past. So that's what I would say. And always complete the chat with the next step. So you want to typically, if you think that the chat went well, you want to typically tell the person, okay, would it be possible for you to connect me with someone else, with one of your colleagues on the floor? So that way, if you have like four or five or six people that you've spoken with who are all vouching for you, there are higher chances of you being placed in the official candidate pool of that, of that bank, of that division, of that department. Right. The other thing that I would say is, and I should have mentioned this earlier, is I mentioned this in my book as well. Um, I, this is the first chapter in the book. Uh, ask yourself, what is it that you want to do? So uh, I know sometimes because of how competitive the roles are, you know, they say beggars can't be choosers. So if you end up getting a sales and trading role, you end up grabbing it. If you end up getting investment banking, you end up grabbing it, right? You can't be too picky and choosy. You don't have the luxury to be that picky and choosy. But in the event that you actually have the luxury to be picky and choosy, then ask yourself, what is it that my skill set is best suited for? So I would say go through, go through the, the divisions section on the Goldman website or the JP Morgan website or the Morgan Stanley website to actually understand, albeit at a high level, understand what is it that the different divisions do. Now, maybe, maybe you feel that, you know what, being within market risk, which is middle office so-called might be a better fit for you. And so don't feel tempted to only go for the front office roles because they might be more glamorous because that's what, that's what's respected or it's respected a lot more compared to say the middle office or the back office roles. You know, there could be a role within middle office as well that, uh, that might cater to your interests a, a lot more. So understand what is it within the broad field of finance that best, that best aligns with my set of skills, strengths and interests. So I think that's something you have to do. And that's something I didn't quite do because I entered the sales and trading division. I understood, I mean, I, I learned a lot during the one and a half years that I spent there, but I just felt, I mean, I was on a structuring desk. Uh, so slightly different. Uh, it wasn't complete. It was, uh, it wasn't completely trading. wasn't completely sales. It was somewhere in the middle. Um, I just felt that, you know what? I am more of a relationship person and uh, being in investment banking, which is a relationship business would be better suited to me. Uh, I didn't quite have the luxury when I was first gunning for roles. I was like, you know what, I'll take whatever I end up getting. But if you have the luxury, as I mentioned, you know, pick wisely, what is it that you want to get into? Because it becomes, I won't say it's impossible, but uh, uh, yeah, you don't want to end up spending a couple of years in a, in one division and then make a drastic pivot to a different division. Although that, that does happen. It's not uncommon. Uh, so, so that's what I would say. Um, apart from that, yeah, you have as many casual conversations or information interviews as possible. Does so, so tell me something. Do these banks come to your campus to hire uh, during career fairs or coffee chats, networking events? Uh, how does it work? Uh, no, actually, no, because we, we're not a target school as well. So okay. um, we don't we don't have this. But there is um, a career fair when we have okay. a couple of uh, financial institutions from Monaco and around that are coming. Understood. Understood. Got it. So you mentioned you want a target school, right? Uh, so I think everything that I mentioned so far definitely uh, applies uh, to all of you. When you're, when you're having these chats, the other thing that I would say is that used to help me a lot. Uh, and this is just based upon my understanding of human psychology. Look, people, people love talking about themselves as well, right? So whenever you're having a conversation with a banker or a trader, apart from talking about yourself, you also make you you also want to make at least a small fraction of the conversation about the person that you're speaking with you know about him or her uh, ask that person uh, like what made him or her choose this career like what have what have his or her experiences been like at the bank so far uh, what does he or she like about his or her job on a daily basis so people love talking about themselves and that just shows that you know what you are genuinely curious or hope, whatever genuinely curious 
about what the other person does, about what the other person uh, is all about. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, that that might be one way in which you can actually cozy up to that person, you know, in which you can curry favor with that person. So keep that in mind. Do a LinkedIn search. That helps a lot. You know, just like look up the profile of the person on LinkedIn. Say, for instance, uh, so one thing that really helped me when I was looking to, uh, there could be so many people you can reach out to, right? When I was thinking of, people to reach out to the one thing that I was, uh, uh, or the one filter that I was using was, okay, let me first reach out to people. I have something in common with, you know, someone I, I mentioned going to the same school, but it could be anyone. It could be say someone who went to a different school, but was an engineer who then moved to finance, you know, something in common former engineer moved to finance. Again, there's something more relatable, right? The commonalities between the two of us. And so that person might be a lot more receptive to agreeing to speak with me because he or she uh, went through the, the hard path. And so he or she probably wants to provide guidance to someone else who's uh, uh, who's in the same path right now, who's, who's in the same boat right now. So make sure the outreach process, like the, the, the cold emailing process is definitely a numbers game. But what I'm trying to say is there are definitely ways in which you can go about optimizing this numbers game, you know? So, so make sure you start out with the people who have the highest probability of responding to you and the people who have the highest probability of responding to you are typically people you have something in common with, you know, same city, you grew up in the same country, had the same educational background, had the, uh, went to the same school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So higher chances of you uh, getting a response from that person. Uh, I mentioned this, be as informal as possible during the chat. You want to connect on a personal level as well. I mean, don't forget the fact that investment banking, right? Or any sell side business, when you're looking at a Goldman Sachs, when you're looking at a Morgan Stanley, any of these sell side banks, at the end of the day, they get their bread and butter. They make the money through clients, right? It's a client serving business. Fundamentally, that's what everyone is doing at these sell side investment banks. And so they want to make sure that they're bringing someone on board or they're hiring someone who can actually get along well with not just the, the people they're going to be working with, not just the colleagues, but also with the clients. So they always have that in mind, which is why they would rather hire someone who's very good when it comes to soft skills, very confident when it comes to speaking, um, and may not be the best when it comes to the technical knowledge, as opposed to hiring someone who's a genius, but uh, maybe doesn't quite get along well with the other people on the floor, with the colleagues or with the clients. Again, the exceptions, there could be certain roles, certain trading roles that are very, very, very technical, right? In which case you aren't really interacting all that much. You're simply focusing on what the market, what's happening in the markets from start to finish, or you're working with like the, the quant people, like the, uh, a lot of people who have PhDs in mathematics, physics, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but for the most part, for the most part, even if you might not be interacting with clients on a daily basis, you're definitely interacting with fellow traders. You're definitely on the phone with salespeople, you know, who might be telling you about what the clients have in mind. So make sure that you actually showcase your personality as well during these chats through the questions that you ask, through your tell me about yourself story, through uh, uh, you just giving a background about yourself, wh where your interest, where your interest in finance stems from. In addition to, of course, showcasing that you have the technical know-how as well to, uh, to, uh, to succeed in the business, uh, to actually be a solid candidate. Uh, if you're looking for roles within sales and trading, something that always, always used to come up, not just during formal interviews. I mean, used to come up during formal interviews. That's that goes without saying, but used to come up during uh, these informational chats as well is, are you following the markets? 
what's happening in the markets. That's the first question traders or salespeople used to ask me. And so make sure that you're keeping up with the markets. What I used to do was instead of actually, you know, uh, doing something painstaking and going through the ins and outs of what's happening in the financial markets on a daily basis, I used to simply skim through the headlines, you know, in the financial times, in the wall street journal, I used to use bloomberg.com as well, just so that I have some idea of what's happening. And the good thing about the financial markets is look, it's not formulaic, right? You can't be like, Oh, let me just plug this, uh, plug these numbers into this formula and it's going to spit out what, what's going to happen in the markets, right? So everyone can have a very different take or a very different opinion about the markets. And your opinion might be completely different from the opinion of the trader you might be speaking with. But as long as you can actually back your opinion with proper logic or substantiation, no one's going to call your opinion ludicrous. You know, it's just a different opinion compared to what someone else has. So make sure that you're actually following what's happening in the financial markets. And instead of simply regurgitating what the headlines are, what you read in the, the, the newspapers, try, try, you know, maybe you don't get there at the very beginning, but once you have like somewhat of a decent sense of how the financial markets work, try coming up with your own thesis, you know, your, your own opinions, your original opinions, as opposed to simply reading what the, the, you know, the economist next door might be telling you. Um, so that's something that used to help me a lot. Uh, the, the one guide that I used, I think you guys might be aware of this is, uh, the, uh, so this was for investment banking. I used, I used, uh, the 400 question and answer guide, uh, looked at all the basic level questions, uh, skim through the advanced level stuff. Honestly, I'd rather, you know, know the basics really well. As opposed, as opposed to, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to not quite knowing the basics all that well and not quite knowing the advanced all that well, you know, so make sure that you actually master the basics really well for sales and trading. I think there were a bunch of guides that I'd used different ones. Uh, uh, there was a vault guide uh, on sales and trading. Um, then a couple of other, other names, you know, go-to books that I'm forgetting right now, but the vault guide was a, was a go-to for a lot of people, you know, used to be considered like considered to be the Bible of, uh, uh, amongst all the guidebooks on sales and trading out there. So make sure your probability is very strong. Make sure your basic math is very strong. Um, brain teasers, you can't really prepare for, but oftentimes, uh, in, in fact, more often than not, you were tested with, uh, with brain teasers. The one thing that I would say is with technical questions, uh, uh, your, the interviewer is your friend. Always remember that. And so instead of actually remaining quiet or mum, when you don't quite know the answer to a specific technical question, make sure that you actually use the interviewer as a guide, you know? So think out loud is what I'm trying to say. You have to do that. Otherwise it ends up becoming very, very awkward for you as well as for the, the, the person who's interviewing you. So think out loud. Okay. So this is, this is what I'm thinking. This is why I think, uh, um, uh, yeah, this is, this is what I'm thinking. Do you think I'm headed in the right direction? And so the interviewer will then nudge you saying, Oh yeah, you know, you're on the right track right now. Keep going, keep going, keep going, or, uh, not quite. You should think, you should think about the solution along these lines. And so that way the interview can guide you to what the actual solution is, as long as you're thinking out loud. So treat the interviewer to be a friend as opposed to your enemy. When you're actually uh, face to face with the interviewer, something else that helped me a lot, again, different people have different styles is using humor often. And I was like, you know what? I might not be very uh, smart when it comes to the technical stuff, but let me at least showcase my personality, you know? So I always had this in the back of my mind. Let me continue showcasing my personality, even if I don't quite get, you know, full marks on all the, the, the technical stuff. Um, so I talked, a fair, uh, let's talk a bit about resumes. What I would say is with resumes, again, you could resumes very important, of course, but I'm not sure how much submitting your application online really works all that much. I'm, I'm not sure about, I at least haven't heard of too many cases where, you know, people have submitted the applications online 
and uh, have gotten calls maybe it happens uh, uh it depends upon the country i guess depends upon the the city that you are applying to but when i was applying to the new york office there wasn't like at least i didn't or none of my friends actually got a call up after simply applying through the online application portal but when you're actually reaching out to uh, to uh, uh, bankers or traders or sales people you want to attach your resume in the outreach email you know like simply have like a, a regards uh, liam or best anubhav and resume attached for reference at the very bottom and attach your resume i mean more often than not the person will open the resume when he or she uh, clicks if he or she happens to open up your email uh, with regard to your resume again make sure whatever you have is as relevant as possible and this is your way of of showing the thing with the thing with resumes and interviews is right at a very fundamental level if you think about resumes and interviews it is actually storytelling interviews is verbal storytelling resumes is written storytelling so even if look i'm not saying you have to be you have to be fabricating things but what i'm saying is you could definitely uh and again this is like off the record right you could what you could do is you could even if say your previous internship right had say maybe 50% similarity with the role that you're gunning for right hypothetical example you could actually compose your resume in a way or compose the description of uh, of that work experience that you had in a way that maybe shows that it had 60% or 70% similarity as opposed to 50% through good storytelling right so it's it's your way to actually tell a compelling story in written form so that's how you should look at the resume right and you don't have to be overly humble look dude these are these are very very competitive positions with hundreds of thousands of people applying for these positions right and especially americans right i'm not sure about europeans but especially americans a lot of them uh, are fairly boastful you know not in a bad way i mean honestly if that ends up you know giving them the role that's smart of them you know they're slightly boastful that way so even if their caliber or their level of achievements is here they might show that you know it's somewhere here indians on the other hand we're a lot more humble if our if our caliber is here we'll show that it's here uh, so 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 uh, that's something i learned from america you know i mean you have to sometimes just be uh yeah just humble brag in a way you know of course don't come across as being obnoxious but you are selling yourself in light of the fact that there are lots of other people knocking on the door who are desperate to get the opportunity that you're gunning for and so you have to make sure that you know you're putting your best foot forward such that you position yourself in a way that maximizes your chances of you breaking in through that door as opposed to someone else doing it so so always keep that in mind when you're crafting your resume and when you're crafting your story and when you're going out there for your interviews that you know what i have to i have to make the uh, uh, make a very favorable impression and if that means you know being slightly slightly pompous or slightly you know exaggerated when it comes to my story so be it you know but but that's just you projecting confidence as as opposed to you as opposed to you i'm not sure if you guys follow cricket but i'll use an analogy instead of you playing on the back foot you're playing on the front front foot you're showing intent you're showing in intent you're you're a bit aggressive right um so that's what that's what i would say during interviews uh when you're when you're first in, in case you're slightly uh, slightly nervous about having these conversations you know uh, maybe informational interviews the one thing that it helped me a lot especially when i was first learning the ropes is reaching out to to analysts you know first year analysts or second year analysts because those were like warm ups for me you know even if even if you end up effing up those conversations they don't go well 
there's nothing that you'll end up losing as such because the analysts aren't quite the decision makers. You know, the decision makers are associates, senior associates, VPs, and above. So, so maybe get some practice under your belt, speaking with first year analysts and second year analysts. Once you feel that you have enough practice, experience, and confidence under your belt, that's when you can reach out to 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 the most senior people, to the decision makers, right? So those are the people who will actually be making the decisions as opposed to the, the first and second year analysts. Do not spend too much time speaking with analysts because as I said, you know, they have absolutely no say in the decision making process or very little say. So you want to reach out to the decision makers. Again, don't reach out to HR all that much. I, at least, you know, you should get the, the, the same scripted response saying, hey, you should apply on the company website. You should apply on the online application portal. So conversations with HR didn't really help me all that much. So you have to, you have to get past the gatekeepers, right? The gatekeepers being HR people and go straight to the decision makers. Once you feel that you're confident enough, you will never feel completely confident. So don't keep delaying or procrastinating because you think that, oh, you know what? I need to feel a lot more prepared. At some stage, you will have to dive into the deep end of the pool. Um, so do it sooner rather than later, um, as opposed to waiting until you know, you're know you 100% confident, which is never going to happen because you're always going to feel some butterflies in your stomach when you're reaching out to these people. Okay, thanks I want to so pause, pause for a bit. I know I've spoken yeah. for a, a fair amount of time. Tell me if I'm going off track. Do you have any, any questions on anything that I talked about? Uh, no, other topics right. that you want me to hit? No, that's great for the moment. Uh, I would like to, um, if you can talk a bit about uh, your position in IB and global industrial. And I have a question. What's the, the deal you really remember that you thrived uh, that was really hard for you? So if you could talk about that and the process of the deal, that could be great. 100%. So, so investment banking, as you guys may already know, uh, there are lots of different industry groups or coverage groups, right? So you're aligned with a specific industry. So it could be uh, consumer retail, could be uh, TMT, could be industrials, could be natural resources, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I was in the industrials group, global industrials group. Uh, so working with uh, lots of large fortune 500 companies as clients, you know, these are the old school manufacturing companies as opposed to the sexy clients that you might be working with within uh, say a TMT, you know, which is technology, media, telecommunications, but industrials solid group. Goldman had a, a very good rep uh, Goldman's industrial group had a very good reputation on the street as well. Uh, enjoyed, yeah, enjoyed myself thoroughly. Within within banking, uh, the one deal that I remember was me working on GCAS. So this is uh, GE's uh, aviation suite. Uh, massive client. GE was going through a fair bit of turmoil during that time. And they were looking to, to offload GCAS and sell GCAS to another bidder. So that's the deal that kept me most busy. Uh, spent I know there was a four-week period when I was working on GCAS. When I... When I Barely slept, barely slept. That drove me absolutely insane, absolutely crazy. And what I would say about investment banking is, uh, look, the, the two years that you spend, it's not a cliche when, you know, when people say the two years that you spend in investment banking is equivalent to like four years or five years elsewhere. That's actually very, very true, given the hours that you're actually putting in on a daily basis. But let me tell you, uh, some of it is also exaggerated. Uh, you aren't working 80 hour weeks every single week. You know, there's certain weeks when you're only working 35 hours, 40 hours, 50 hours. Granted, you might have to stay at your desk as opposed to leave only because, yeah, uh, it's it's looked down upon if you're leaving too early, especially when your colleagues are working uh, until whatever, midnight or one o'clock in the morning. Uh, but not every single week is like that. And so the weeks which are actually slow, you could use those weeks very strategically to recharge your batteries, you know, maybe get more sleep, eat healthier, hit the gym, such that you're prepared for the next wave that comes your way, which will come sooner rather than later. Uh, the other thing that I would say within investment banking is 
don't be naive like i was oftentimes what used to happen initially initially the, on days which were really slow for me i used to go to my my bum the bum being the business unit manager so he or she is the person who actually delegates deals to people you know she's the she or he is the staffing person uh, i used to go to the bum saying hey look put me on more deals you know i'm i'm not all that busy right now and what would happen was granted she would put me on deals but then when you end up getting staffed on too many deals there might come a week when all deals or when all your deals are exploding at the same time and that's when all hell breaks loose you know like the floodgates are wide open and you're barely you're barely staying afloat so that becomes a problem so be strategic about it some of the smartest bankers were the ones who gave the perception of working extremely hard but they weren't working all that hard you know they were clever about okay when is it that i have to operate in fifth gear and when is it that i have to operate in third gear fourth gear such that i can rest recover recuperate recharge my batteries and then i can be back at it again so be be smart about that the other thing within banking you know it's a relationship business not just with the clients but it's a relationship business within um within uh, uh, on the floor as well amongst your colleagues that's one of the reasons why at least goldman describes the culture within the investment bank division as an apprenticeship culture that's what goldman calls it it's an apprenticeship culture which means that you coming in as an analyst can actually you know unofficially regard associates dps mds or any senior banker that you really hit it off with right that you have a solid chemistry with as your your mentor is such and you are an apprentice working under that senior banker and once a solid senior banker takes you under his or her wings then you end up getting the 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 good deals you know then that senior banker can be like you know what i want anubhav or i want uh, andrea i want liam i want alan on this deal and i want him or her on every single deal every single future deal of mine once you develop that solid relationship with that senior banker so it's very important for you to actually find mentors within especially within investment banking uh, when you first start out otherwise it can be difficult otherwise you just end up getting the 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 pathetic deals that no one really wants uh, so you want senior bankers to be asking you know uh, asking the the staffing manager to put you on on that deal um, that's something to keep in mind as well uh perception plays a massive role i briefly alluded to this uh oftentimes how you're perceived is uh, uh how you're perceived is oftentimes more important than what the ground reality might be than what the objective reality might be and some of the smartest bankers did that beautifully well of course perception the game of perception is important in in any corporate job that's 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 prevalent but more so in investment banking you know people are people actually observing every move of yours okay how, how much are you working how much are you not working which deals are you working on are you a top bucket do you have the makings of being a top bucket analyst uh, or are you someone who's a pushover someone who doesn't quite have the the banker attitude that you actually need um soft skills i would say are definitely way more important if you're going for an investment banking role compared to technical skills the, one of the reasons investment banking is called monkey business is because anyone can learn the technical stuff absolutely anyone can um it's not rocket science it's anything but rocket science so soft skills are definitely way more important compared to technical skills when you're going for an investment banking role in sales and trading it might be different especially if you're working on the uh, especially if you're working as a trader you know of course if you're in sales goes without saying soft skills the most important uh, attribute that they look for in a solid candidate okay thanks a lot anubhav so uh, guys we will uh, head up to the to the q and a um do you wanted to do, to say something andrea yeah uh, i have a good question before jumping into other other topics i got a question regarding ibe 
yeah. uh, from Pietro is asking, uh, we talk about big uh, investment banking uh, banks and uh, how it works there. Do you think uh, investment banking boutiques are a valid alternative to those giants in terms of learning experience? I didn't get the last part. Uh, do you think investment banking boutiques? Yeah. Uh, do you think that the boutiques are a valid alternative to those uh, giants in terms of learning experience? 100%, 100%. If, if not, if not as, uh, they're, they're as good, if not better, is what I would say. In fact, a lot of people, a lot of people uh, actually prefer coming out of college, you know, coming out of Ivy League schools, coming out of big schools or whatever, coming out of any college, prefer working at boutiques instead of bulge bracket investment banks, only because they're much smaller teams, right? The work that you're given is uh, a lot more meaningful compared to the work that you might be given at a bulge bracket bank. Uh, and oftentimes boutiques are actually formed by former partners of bulge bracket banks, you know, so maybe a bunch of say JP Morgan partners might just get together and be like, you know what, instead of actually, uh, uh, instead of actually being partners at JP Morgan or whatever, we work for 20 years at JP Morgan, let's just start our own smaller boutique or middle market firm. Um, and so they take all the clients that they had at JP Morgan. Uh, and those clients become clients of this boutique bank that they've just founded. Uh, so you're working a lot more closely with senior bankers when you're working at a boutique, as opposed to uh, as opposed to what the case might be when you're working in a much larger team. Now, what helps is when you're working at some a place like a Goldman Sachs or a JP Morgan, right? The brand name helps a lot. So in case you want to pivot to a different company once you're done uh, with your whatever two years, three years, four years, five years at Goldman or at JP Morgan, it's much easier for you to pivot only because now you have that brand name, you know, uh, on, on, on your resume, on your profile. And so even if you want to move to the industries, lots of people, what they do is after working at a bank, uh, and maybe serving a client with whom they've developed a solid relationship, uh, for whatever, two years, three years, four years, plus they end up leaving and working for that client. So they move to the industry. Uh, so that's fairly common, but boutiques, as I said, you know, as good, if not better in terms of like the learning experience that you get only because you're, you're doing a lot more meaningful work and you're working a lot more closely with some of these mentors and you can be their apprentice. You can quite literally pick their brain, uh, you know, at close quarters on a daily basis, boutiques, as well as middle market banks as well. Thanks a lot. Pietro, very good question. Thanks a lot for the question, Pietro. Uh, guys, it's an open question. You can put your, your camera on and ask questions to Anubav. Just don't be shy. And in case you don't want, just uh, shoot us the message in private and we're going to ask them. Anubav, um, so you talked about the, the highs of uh, banking and the lows, but they were very low. Could you tell us in detail the very lows and the very high? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you want me to start with? The lows or the highs? Ah, uh, the bad. Huh? The bad. Yeah, the bad. Let's start with that. Understood. Okay, let's start with the bad. You know, the, the look, uh, the good news is that there's only one piece of bad news. Or the good news is uh, that it wasn't all that bad. I'm kidding. Look, I mean, look, the lows were, uh, of course, we've all heard about stories like the work hours and everything. Um, it definitely gets tough. I, I, you know, for one, when I was in college, when I was an engineering student, I thought that I had a tremendous work ethic, like a tremendous work ethic. And even though I used to read and hear about story, horror stories about people in banking, I felt that, you know what, given the fact that I have a solid work ethic, that's something I actually took a lot of pride in. Uh, I'll be able to survive. I'll be able to survive. But look, at the end of the day, look, you're still human, right? You have a limited reserves of willpower. And so it definitely gets to you. You know, you could do it for one day, two days, three days, four days, but there could be maybe a two week period where you're 
actually staying at the office until two o'clock or whatever, three o'clock in the morning, nearly on a daily basis. And towards the fag end of that spell is when it really gets to you. It really gets to you. And so uh, mentally, you have to be extremely strong uh, in terms of mental tenacity, in terms of grit, that has to be rock solid, rock solid. And so again, you learn that, you learn that the hard way as well on the desk, you know, by virtue of you having gone through a, a horror experience, you're like, okay, the next one might not be as bad. Or, or the, when the next one comes your way, it's something that you've experienced in the past. Uh, and so it's not all that bad, uh, but still banking is a way to surprise you. Um, in terms of other, other stuff that I'd say, uh, you, you end up putting on a lot of weight as well. <laughs> that happens to the best. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I, I was still working out, but um, during my first year in banking, I ended up putting on like solid like, 10 pounds, close to 15 pounds, perhaps only because you're stress eating a fair bit. You know, different people have different ways of coping with stress. Some people smoke, some, some people drink. I used to stress eat a fair bit, you know, when I'm on the desk, uh, because you need those, those, those kicks, you know, uh, to actually uh, maybe lift your spirits when you're completely down in the doldrums. That used to happen to me. So be wary, be wary of that happening as well. Make sure that you're carving out at least, you know, at least 10 or 15 minutes to do some form of exercise on a daily basis, be it in the morning, be it you stepping off the desk for a few minutes, hitting the gym in case there's a gym in the office, there was a gym uh, in the New York office and then coming back to the desk. So even if you do something for 10 or 15 minutes, that's definitely going to help not just physically, but mentally more importantly. Um, the other thing that I'd say is you have to be a tough cookie in the sense that you have to actually be able to deal with temperamental personalities. And so there could be, there could be associates, there could be VPs who might come across as complete like dicks to, to you and that you, you just have to suck it up sometimes, especially when you're first starting out, you will, you will inevitably, inevitably end up making mistakes and effing up. And sometimes just accepting the fact that this is an inevitability and it is going to happen can actually have a very therapeutic effect. You know, when you accept the fact that, yes, I mean, this is bound to happen, then yeah, like when it does happen, it, you aren't completely caught off guard because you were ex you were expecting it in, in some way, shape or form. So prepare to actually face the brunt of temperamental personality. Some of it, some of it might become personal as well, uh, only because you, you have to remember, you know, a lot of these people are, uh, uh, are running pillar to post they are probably sleep deprived as well. They are working whatever, 18, 90, 100 hours a week. So sometimes they just need like a vent. And unfortunately, the first year analyst or the rookie, you know, ends up being uh, the, 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 the punching bag or the boxing bag, you know, ends up being at the receiving end of, uh, of uh, the, uh, uh, yeah, of angry bankers. And so you have to be prepared for that. So, so calm down the ego sometimes, you know, you have to just accept the fact that, look, this is not, even if, even if, you know, it's bitter, uh, it's not personal, you know? So you have to sometimes be like, oh, let me just ignore this, which is easier said than done because you yourself might be like, you know what, I'm hot-headed. Like there's absolutely no, no way I'm going to take bullshit from this person. Right. Uh, so, so maintain your calm as much as possible. So emotional intelligence becomes extremely important in addition to the great and the mental tenacity and the mental toughness that I talked about, emotional intelligence becomes extremely important in uh, investment banking. And that's also one of the reasons why a lot of people, if, if you did well in banking, right, you just create so many exit opportunities for you because if you've actually faced the investment banking grind, then everything else that follows, regardless of how difficult it might be, uh, probably doesn't come close to how difficult banking was. And that's one of the reasons why bankers are so employable as well and have so many 
exit opportunities, regardless of what type of field they actually get into after investment banking, because the skills that banking teaches you are skills that are very universal skills that can be applied anywhere, you know, knowing how to deal with colorful personalities, knowing how to actually liaise or interact with clients, emotional intelligence, mental toughness. These are skills that are applicable in any field, you know, even if a field, even if the field is drastically different on paper compared to what investment banking is. So that's what I would say. Look, the, the highs are, if, if you are someone who enjoys uh, building relationships, there's absolutely nothing better than investment banking because some of those relationships can be very genuine, organic relationships. I keep saying this, a client will not come to Goldman Sachs because Goldman Sachs builds better models or Goldman Sachs has a better technical database or has better technical know-how. A client will come to Goldman Sachs because the client has a better relationship with Goldman Sachs as opposed to say uh, uh, what the relationship uh, what the relationship uh, is like with say JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley, right? So if you enjoy building and cultivating relationships with clients, working in a working in a stressful environment with with uh, uh, with, with team members, right? all of you trying to solve a big problem that can have massive implications for massive clients and massive companies, then investment banking is your cup of tea. But unlike trading, the difference is, uh, you know, trades happen on a daily basis, right? Uh, like the, the duration of a particular trade uh, is much less. Banking deals can go on and on and on and on and on. You know, you could be chatting with the client for six months thinking the client's going to execute on a particular solution that you proposed, but the client says, no, let's just stall for the timing. We'll think about it sometime, uh, sometime later, the market's taking a, a weird turn or something's happened at the company. And so you have to be patient as well within investment banking. These are long-term, that's why they call it long-term complex strategic transactions. Uh, but again, you know, you, you as a junior person might not be liaising directly with clients, but slowly, but surely, slowly, but surely, as you get, uh, you know, as you work for longer and longer with a particular client, you start developing relationships with counterparts at the client. So, you know, you'll, you as an analyst will develop a solid relationship with the analyst at the client. And then both of you, both of you, you know, rise through the ranks and who knows, maybe four years later, five years later, when you are VPs together, uh, then, then yeah, that relationship comes in really handy. Uh, and, and you might be working, you might be serving that client forever, you know, for, throughout the, uh, your, your career as a banker. And so if you enjoy relationships and client serving business and complex strategic transactions, then investment banking is definitely your cup of tea. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, we got a question from uh, Matteo today. So uh, what is the typical day in the structured product office? In the what office? Structured yeah, product. Structured product, yeah. Got it. So with structured products, I mean, since I wasn't uh, uh, doing any trading as such, I didn't necessarily have to come in at six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning. So the traders used to come in fairly early, like six thirty, seven, uh, much early as well. Sometimes at least the junior traders, when they were first starting out, you know, you have to catch up with, uh, with all the news uh, and make sure that you're prepared for, for the market open at nine 30 at nine 30 in the morning uh, within structured products, we came slightly later um, because the, the structured product or whatever we were structuring, like this was the equity derivatives desk that I was working on. Um, this has nothing to do with the, the daily movements in the financial market. So you, we used to come in around 8.30, 8.45 in the morning. We were, so within structured products, at least the structured, the structuring desk that I was sitting on, we were in a way sitting between lots of different teams. You know, we were uh, liaising with the legal team, with salespeople, with compliance, with the traders in and, and pretty much putting all the pieces that are required together. And so we had to look at, we had to work with legal uh, 
in building term sheets, you know, so in the event that, you know, there's a structured product that we have in mind, we come up with the idea of the structured product. Then we propose that idea to the traders. The traders are the ones who actually price. So traders do a lot of pricing. The traders are the ones who actually price the, uh, the structured product, depending upon what the volatility is, depending upon what the risk is. The salespeople are the one who are speaking with the, with potential clients who might end up purchasing that structure product and legal and compliance are making sure that whatever we're selling is is yeah will not damage the reputation of the firm you know we're making sure that uh we're creating proper term sheets proper disclosures such that the client knows exactly what the client is signing up for as opposed to the client feeling as if oh you know what i didn't quite understand the product because with structured products you know these are exotic instruments these are not easy to understand they aren't vanilla instruments they're more exotic which is why legal and compliance ends up playing a massive role um in um, uh, when it comes to the, the realm of structured products. And so we, in a way, we used to come in around eight o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock, 8.15 in the morning, um, look at look at what are the different uh, products that we could actually, given, given what the market was like, what are the different products that we could actually structure? You know, what would make sense for the clients right now? Are the clients willing to actually take on risk or are the clients more risk averse right now? And so come up with potential ideas for what we could structure, as I said, you know, speak with the traders. If the traders think it makes sense, it's viable, then the traders end up pricing it. We communicate that to the salespeople as well. Salespeople uh, uh, put out feelers to potential clients to understand, you know, whether there's, whether there's interest for such a product. Uh, and then if, if in the event that, you know what, there are, there is interest and we are thinking of pricing this and selling this, then we end up working with the uh, legal and compliance uh, in making sure that, uh, all the disclosures, um, all, all the legal formalities actually put in place before we can actually sell these to clients. Uh, because a lot of the clients that we dealt with were also sophisticated clients. They weren't like mom and pop investors, but they were hedge funds, buy side firms who were purchasing a lot of these structured products because structured products, as I said, you know, more exotic instruments that uh, your typical mom and pop investor, uh, mom and pop investor won't quite buy. It's the, the most sophisticated clients. Okay, great. Uh, guys, do you have any questions? We have time. Another couple of 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Yeah. Hi, I have a question. Hi, go for it. Yeah, so what should be like a technical or software skill or quantitative skill that you think it's a must have for investment banking or for trading? Like of one for each, like a one must have. A technical skill you're saying, right? Yes. A technical skill. Uh, for, for trading, it's fairly simple. For trading, you need a lot of analytical skills. So you need to be fairly quick with your math. You need to be good with numbers. Um, then uh, uh, this, this might fall under the technical realm as well, but you need to know exactly how the markets work. Um, uh, understand, understand the uh, understand concepts like CAPM, capital asset pricing model, understand bond pricing. That's very, very important. How do bonds work? How are they different from uh, stocks? Uh, so understand the equity component, understand the, the fixed income component, all of those very important. Uh, probability, very important. Brain teasers, you can't really prepare for, mention that. Um, then the one, yeah, uh, I should mention this. The one book that had really helped me when before, before I had uh, started working on the Goldman trading floor, you might have heard of this. It's uh, Option Pricing and Volatility by Sheldon Natenberg. So that's, that's a, a lovely book, a beautiful book. It's, it's thick, it's fat. It'll take you a fair bit of time, but things are explained beautifully. So you need to have, you need to have some, some basic 
level finance knowledge, but if you have like a basic level of finance and if you understand like the basics of, you know, how bonds work, how, how options work, how stocks work, how equity instruments work, then you'll definitely be able to understand that book, you know? So read it like a textbook from start to finish. You have to be patient, but that's your Bible. If you want to understand derivative instruments, if you want to understand options, there's another book by John Hull as well. You may have heard of him, uh, but from what I've heard, I haven't read that book. That's a slightly more complicated book compared to the book written by Sheldon Hatenberg. So the book by Sheldon Hatenberg is one that you could look for. I know there are lots of free PDFs available online as well. So I downloaded a free PDF avail uh, that was available online and, uh, and printed that out and read it from start to finish. So that really helped me. Um, in, uh, for investment banking, uh, the, the, the 400 question and answer guidebook that is very useful, as I mentioned, you don't necessarily have to know the ins and outs of financial modeling. Uh, because they won't ask you to build a model during the interview, but you must have a very good conceptual understanding of how models work in a way. Like say, for instance, I say, okay, I change my discount rate in the model from 5% to 7%. What happens to my model? So you should have a very good conceptual understanding such that even if you aren't in front of a computer, uh, being able to plug in numbers and seeing how the result changes, you can tell, okay, since I'm changing the discount rate, um, which comes in the denominator. If I'm increasing that, then this is what happens to my net present values, uh, so and so forth. Right. So have a very good conceptual understanding of the different pieces that make up a financial model such that even if you end up getting a question that's somewhat of a curveball, you'll still be able to use first principles to arrive at the solution. Uh, a simple model.com is a website that I personally found very useful. A simple model.com. Uh, it's a freemium website. So of course they they have these paid plans, but there are lots of these uh, free templates that are available online that uh, available on the website that you can use to, uh, to just experiment, you know, with different models, with an LBO, with a DCF. Okay. If I change this, what happens to my model? Uh, such that again, you understand how the different pieces of the model are actually connected to each other. Yeah. A simple model is good and it's cheap as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, guys, uh, any other questions? Uh, I asked you uh, on the, the message, Anubhav, if you, if you could write the textbooks uh, that you mentioned. Okay. In, uh, in should, I, should I reply to email then? Uh, oh, okay, reply yeah. to the chat here, you're saying? Yeah. Please. Okay. Understood. Yes, we'll thank do. you. <laughs> we'll do that. Yep. Any other question, guys? Uh, sorry, I have uh, just one question because um, no, I am very interested in the um, investment area, and mm -hmm. after, after my study, I want to work in the hedge funds, and maybe one day I don't know why. When um, I create my, I want to create my hedge funds, small create uh, small hedge funds, and I'm interested. Are uh, the Goldman Sachs is um, cooperate with the small hedge funds? Is Goldman Sachs what with the small hedge funds? The corporate partnership, something like this. So, so hedge funds uh, are typically clients for Goldman Sachs, right? So, uh, and uh, so what typically happens is hedge funds for a lot of people, for maybe more than 50% of the people, a lot of uh, traders, as well as salespeople, as well as bankers end up moving to the buy side. It's a, a, it's very common. You must've heard of this. You know, you work, you work for two years, at a sell side investment bank. And then after your first two years, you end up moving to the buy side, right? The buy side, much better lifestyle. You aren't working as hard, uh, especially if you were formally working within investment banking and you're earning a much higher pay as well, right? Uh, the uh, it's, it's different because with the buy side, you're, you're, you're using your own capital, right? You're using your own capital money that's on your books to actually invest on behalf of the firm. And so, uh, 
the opportunities are different. So if you were a trader at an investment bank, and if you go to the buy, buy side, you end up becoming the trader for, for, for that firm. You know, you are the one who is actually uh, buying and selling securities based upon the investment, based upon the decisions or the investment decisions that are made by the investments committee. Now, people who were bankers, right? So bankers are typically the ones who are part of the investments committee, making those investment decisions based upon whatever fundamental analysis or whatever the, the approach or the philosophy of that buy side firm might be. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a brilliant opportunity. It's something that a lot of people do. And what I would say is if you end up breaking into uh, any bulge bracket bank, right. And you're working on the sell side and you know that you want to move to the buy side, you know, eventually, could be two years down the line, three years down the line, four years down the line, or whenever you want to start the process from the get go, from the get go. So what, what used to happen within banking was a lot of these first year analysts, you know, having spent maybe six months or seven months or eight months in banking, perhaps even less already start reaching out to headhunters and those headhunters then uh, end up uh, headhunters. Think of headhunters as like agents, you know, so headhunters, uh, no different uh, headhunters know about the different buy side firms. Okay. So they know exactly which firms are recruiting and headhunters are the ones who will put you in touch with a lot of these buy side firms saying, Hey, you know what? There's an opportunity open at firm X, Y, Z. Uh, you should consider applying there. And then what happens is the headhunters actually paid like some sort of commission or some sort of uh, fee by the, uh, by the buy side firm for facilitating the recruiting for them. So uh, uh, what I'd say is as soon as you start within your sell side role, start looking for, for opportunities through these headhunters because a lot of people, my sister did this, a lot of people just after having finished one year within banking, end up securing an offer to move to the buy side one year down the line. So they finished one year and they have an offer uh, for, for uh, uh, to move to the buy side at the end of the second year in banking. So they already have like a deal secured. So the second year in banking, they can sort of, you know, sort of just chill out a bit, a bit, of course, as long as their performance doesn't quite dip drastically, knowing that, you know what, at the end of my, my second year within banking, I'm going to now move to the buy side. I'm going to move to this firm. Lifestyle is going to be much easier. Uh, plus I'm going to be working like, uh, I'm going to be earning a lot more money as well. So that's something you do and keep that in mind. As I said, you know, if that's something you're firm on, keep that in mind from the get go. Okay. Right. And uh, I got I got a question. How to stand out in uh, such an environment which is so competitive? How to stand out? Yep. Yeah. So, I, the the first the first thing that I say, which is, which might be very obvious, is that look, you cannot you there's no there's no substitute for doing solid work, right? So I, I talked about perception and I talked about how you can be a smart worker as opposed to a hard worker. At the end of the day, there's no substitute for for doing good solid work. And so you have to make sure that you're doing that when you're first coming in, when you're first coming in, and this helped me a lot, try being, and Goldman used to say this explicitly, try being as much of a sponge as possible. Just soak in everything during your first year, your first couple of years, maybe. Um, interact as much as possible with senior people on the floor. These could be senior traders, senior salespeople, senior bankers. Helps a lot. Helps a lot. It's a, as I said, you know, if it's an apprenticeship culture, then people are a lot more receptive to actually meeting with you, sitting down with you, getting coffee with you, pick their brains. You know, there are absolutely no dumb questions when you're first starting out. Like one of the, one of the ways in which I used to personally motivate myself or convince myself to ask questions, even though I was fearful thinking that, oh, this might be a stupid question is that I would rather, I would rather uh, 
ask a stupid question or a dumb question and make a fool out of myself, right? Then be mum on the sidelines. Because if, if I'm playing the game, and even though I might be sucking at the game, that's still much better compared to sitting on the sidelines and laughing at the people who are playing at the game. So I don't know, this is like a small mental hack that I used to use to, you know, just come out of my comfort zone and uh, sit down with senior people or ask them questions during meetings. But they absolutely love it. They absolutely love it when a junior person, right, isn't simply sitting there and taking notes or isn't simply sitting there and recording the meeting. They absolutely love it. So show a lot more intent. And even though, even though you might get it wrong sometimes or may end up asking a stupid question, they love the fact that, okay, you had the courage to actually go for it when others were probably a lot more complacent. So you have to show that, that forthrightness, that intent from the get-go. Um, and people notice that having a good attitude is very, very, very important. And there's a fine line. Of course, you don't want to be naive and exploitable and you don't want to have too good of an attitude such that people can take advantage of you, but having a good attitude is very important. So doing the basics, basics being, okay, you know what? Showing up early, being the first one on the desk. This is especially true within, within trading, within trading. If, if you're working on a team, if you're the junior most person on that team, show up before everyone else does, you know, like do your homework, do your research on what's happening in the markets. Uh, and people notice these things, you know, people might not explicitly load you for it, but people notice these things. Okay. You know what? He's the, he has a, he or she has a good attitude. First person to come in last person to leave amongst all the members on the team. Uh, so, uh, that's extremely important. As I said, be a sponge, be like the, the, the fly on the wall, you know, even if there's a meeting and you aren't contributing to it, still listen as much as possible. Like oftentimes stay back for a couple of hours just so that you actually do research or try and understand what was being discussed. Ask as many questions as possible because after the first six or seven months, you know, you can no longer use the license that you're a, a, a new kid on the, on the floor, you know, people then start expecting you to understand stuff and do, you know, take the initiative and do things by yourself during the first few months, or maybe during your internship, you have the license to be, to be stupid, to ask dumb questions and no one's going to judge you for it. But once that license expires, then it might be too late for you to actually catch up only because people are like, you know what, you should have known this by now. Uh, so make sure that you're coming out of your comfort zone from the get go. You, you, Overall, you'll just become a more confident person as well. The more you come out of your comfort zone, especially when you're working in an environment that might be intimidating, like a trading flow or a banking environment. But people like seeing people who are characters, people who have personalities that way. Uh, so that's going to help you a lot. Uh, other ways in which uh, you uh, the other ways in which you stand out, make sure that you're actually befriending all the people within your analyst class. They come in very handy uh, because look, misery loves company, right? So a, a lot of the analysts are clueless. Uh, they, they're very clueless, right? But you, uh, at least you have someone, someone to, to, to speak with, you know, someone you can empathize with or you, someone you can go to for help, you know, in case there's a very dumb question, you don't want to ask your manager, maybe call up like a fellow analyst and be like, Hey, can you explain this to me? So make sure that you actually become friends with the people in your analyst class becomes especially handy within investment banking because within banking, oftentimes, you know, the days and nights when you're very lonely and you just feel as if I wish I had a support system around me and your analysts or your fellow analysts actually serve as that support system to provide you the mental support or the emotional support that you need when the going gets really tough. And uh, that can sometimes, you know, just provide like a stimulus or give you like a shot in the arm that helps you when, uh, when you're, when you're, you know, down in the doldrums, as I said, so befriending your analyst class, becoming, developing, developing a good relationship with them comes in especially handy. And there's so many stories, so many stories of people who 
end up becoming partners, right? And a lot of the people that they become partners with are people who belong to the analyst class, you know, so they've risen through the ranks together. Um, and uh, yeah, the solid relationships come in really, really handy. So, so make sure that you're not just focusing, focusing on the technical stuff, but making sure that you're building relationships with senior people as well as people within your analyst class. Thanks a lot, Anubha. Okay. Well, so I think the, the time passed, guys. Uh, thanks for all for tuning in. We were about 30 tonight. Now we're 23. But thanks a lot, guys. Um, thanks, Anubha, for coming. We hope to see you uh, commenting the Premier League probably in, uh, in two years, one year. <laughs> we'll see. Hopefully, man. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, I mean, this season looking unlikely, but uh, maybe next season Manchester United might be ready. Any United yeah. fans? Second. Uh, no, no, I'm not a Man U fan. My dad is an Arsenal fan, but I'm a Marseille fan. A Marseille fan. Understood. Understood. The best Solid. supporters in the world. <laughs> but it's, it's still behind closed doors, right? Uh, the games in the French League as well? Yeah. Yeah. Behind closed doors still. Understood. Understood. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks, Anuba, for coming. Thanks, everyone. And uh, we'll see you in the next one, guys. Thank you Thank so you. much. Uh, you know, really, really enjoyed the experience. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys got some, some solid takeaways. And uh, in case there are any follow-up questions, uh, I think, uh, Liam, you know my email, right? Yeah. People can reach out to me via email. Uh, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed the session. And thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Thanks, Anuba. Thank you so much for coming. The pleasure is mine. Do, do more funny videos. We love them. Yeah. I'll, no, I'll, I'll, I'll continue. I'll continue. You know, the job, the job sometimes keeps me busy as a result of which uh, I haven't been as consistent when it comes to posting. Um, but it's, it's always something I enjoy. You know, the, the creativity is something that I, I just feel sometimes, you know, when you aren't quite being creative or when you aren't quite doing creative work on a daily basis, it just knows at you. You, you feel as if there's unused potential within you. And so whenever I sit down to think about like a, a YouTube video or a YouTube script, that's something that gives me so much pleasure and happiness. Uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, you, you mentioning this definitely serves as an incentive for me to keep at it as opposed to becoming complacent. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Thanks so guys. And uh, see you the next one. Cheers guys. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.